Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. The title of today's message is The Importance of the Holy Spirit. And um, as you guys know, I always like to give you like a little homework, but the homework is always a worship song. So the homework for today is just when you leave here, whenever you have the opportunity, I want you guys to listen to Fill Me Up um, by Tasha Cobbs. It's just this song that I was really just literally playing on repeat. And I just feel like it just like really ministered to my spirit and it will just help you along your course and your faith walk. So my foundational scripture will be found in Luke chapter 18. And when you have it, say amen. 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 That was quick. (laughs) Uncle Bossy don't even have his Bible. I'll be talking about some amen. (laughs) All right. Luke 18 verse number 27. So it reads, But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And um, something that I have highlighted in my notes is the word are. And that's the first time he says it because he says it twice. He said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And I wrote down that are clarifies that you are 100% not able to do this on your own, right? It means that no matter how hard you try, you cannot do this on your own. Um, So I have a few questions that I want you guys to just think about. And uh, the questions are, what are some of your impossibles? Right? Because it says that the things which are impossible with man are possible with God. So what are some of your impossibles? Um, My second question is, what is it that you desire to do, but if it just feels too big or overwhelming? And this can be in any area of your life. Like, it can be mentally, professionally, financially. Like, what do you feel like is just too big or when you think about it, it just overwhelms you? My third question is, what's been keeping you up at night or invading your dreams? I think sometimes when it comes to you thinking about something so much or even anxiety, like those things can start invading your dreams or keep you up at night and you just tossing and turning and not understanding why. But maybe it's something that's vexing your spirit. And then the fourth question that I have is, um, well, I kind of just said it, like, what is giving you feelings of anxiety? So, again, the foundational scripture is Luke 18, 27. But he said, and this is Jesus talking, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And um, the now this time I underlined and ha- um, highlighted with God, right? And I define with. With is doing it together with is accompanied by God. And I'm asking, this is my final question, is are you trying to do it with God? Whatever those impossibilities are, like are you trying to do it with God? So before I started, um, before I prayed in, one of the things that I spoke to you guys is like, I love Bible study because I feel like it's more intimate and we can engage more. So I have an activity for you guys. I want you guys to close your eyes. And you too, Periscope, thanks for joining us. All right. So um, as you close your eyes, I want you to take a deep breath in, hold it, now release. I want you to do it again. Take a deep breath in, hold it, and now release. And one last time, take a deep breath in, hold it, and now release. And while your eyes are still closed, I want you to envision your impossible. 
I want you to see it very clearly. What is your impossible? Your impossible may be befriending that annoying coworker or stepping out in faith and asking for a promotion. Your impossible may even be quitting your job and trying out full-time entrepreneurship. Your impossible could be doing something outside of your comfort zone or doing something that you said you would never do. Your impossible could be forgiving someone who has done the unforgivable, someone who has done harm to you or a loved one. Now open your eyes. I want you guys to write down the first thing that you thought about when I said, what is your impossible? So let's tie back to our um, theme, or I guess our charge of this year, which is the year of discipleship. That is the first sermon that I taught in January. And um, what I wrote down is that we have to dismiss and cast down our thoughts and feelings about the impossible. And then I defined what dismiss is, which means to send away. And then the second definition of dismiss is to decide that something or someone is not of your concern. So your impossible could very well be like a loved one uh, that you feel like all is lost or have lost hope about whether it is believing that they will receive salvation or change their lives, which I hope that nobody has given up hope because we, are, we walk by faith and not by sight, so it does not matter. The situations or the circumstances or what people are doing, we want to continue in hope and we want to continue in faith. However, like I want you to dismiss those doubts or those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that the enemy may be trying to implant within you that's causing you to feel those different type of ways. And then the second one is to cast down. And this is one of my favorite um, words because... I, I got it from 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, cast all your care upon to the Lord. And when I define cast, it means to throw forcibly. So it's not like, oh, I'm casting a rock into the sea. It's like, I'm throwing it with all my might. Like, I got to get this away from me, right? So in 1 Peter 5, 7, it's referring to, like, your stresses, your worries, your anxieties, any problems or situations. But this time, I'm specific, specifically talking about um, your, that impossible, like the thought that it's impossible. Cast it. Like... Anytime I um, say or hear the word cast, I immediately think of a baseball player, like a pitcher. Like they throw with great force to try to make the swinger person batter miss it. So, <laughs> yeah, I got to stop using these sports analogies. I always mess them up. <laughs> but, okay, so our foundational scripture was found in Luke, but our, the word will be coming from John chapter 6 and verse number 22. And the subtitle of this chapter is The Bread of Heaven. John chapter 6, verse number 22. When you have it, say amen. 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 And I'm going to read to verse number 40. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the, plain, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Verse number 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but 
for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the, the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst but i said to you that you but i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and the one whom he comes to me i will by no means cast out for i have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me this is the will of the father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. Okay, so I know that there was a lot. I'm going to break it down. So um, John 6.22, what I just read, really picks up after the story of um, Jesus feeding 5,000 with the... Um, two pieces, two loaves of bread and five, or no, two two small fish and five loaves of bread, which is actually in John chapter six, verse number one. Can we turn there really quickly? I want to read that story just for context. So when you have it, it's just probably a page back or a few scriptures. Say amen. Okay, John 6, 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were deceased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And I want to pause there, because I think it is important for us to note that when Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because, like I said, a test. Like It's because he wants to see where you are. Are, and he wants to reveal to you that truth, right? Um, something else that I want to clarify is that a test comes from God. I think that we need to discern and understand the difference between a test and a trial and a tribulation. A trial and a tribulation usually comes from the enemy, but if God allow, I mean, God does allow it, but when it's a test, know that it's directly from God, so it's not to take you out, but it's to get something to you. Verse number seven. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. 
Now, there was much grass in the place, so the man sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come in the world. Now, I read all of that to get to this. Now, in John 6, 2, it says that um, they followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were deceased, right? So they were following him because they saw the works that God was, I mean, that Jesus was doing. And then by the time we get to John 6, 26, there's a shift. By um, John 6, 26, Starting at verse 24, it says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi when did you come? Then verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So they went from seeking, um, seeking after Jesus and following him, for the um, manifestation of the spiritual things, right? That he was healing people, right? And then immediately it shifted because they saw like, wait, he's providing our natural needs too. So let me seek him for these things. And I think that it's very important that um, we take account because something that I wrote down is that they went from seeking him for the impossible, those things that they couldn't do on their own, um, that could only be revealed with him to seeking things for, I mean, to seeking him for the things that they could do on their own. So this is why I said that they could do it on their own. It says, now, I wrote down, now, of course, Jesus was next level with it. So next level, like, he was out here feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. Like, that is definitely next level. However, so I'm not trying to downplay what he did. However, what I did say is that Jesus applied his super to the boy's natural, meaning the two fish and the five loaves of bread. Um, that was the miracle. That was the miracle. However, before Jesus was in the earth, they was eating food, right? Now, now that Jesus is gone, sorry. Now that Jesus is gone, are y'all still eating? Did anybody eat today? Raise your hand. So that means that that's something that we can do on our own, correct? Amen. So I wrote down that we have to stop seeking God for that which we are able to accomplish on our own. Amen. Amen. I said, God is not going to do that which you can do. He is a supernatural God, meaning his dealings are in the things you cannot do on your own. And um, one time I remember I was looking for a job and I was talking to Uncle Balti. I was like, Uncle Balti, pray that I get a job. And he was saying, um, I think his exact words were, were, it's already done. He said, God is not going to do anything else in this earthly realm, right? Everything that he's going to do is already done. The, the, the work is finished. And I was just like, so do that mean you're not going to pray for me? No. <laughs> Just joking. But that really, I was just like, well, that is true. All the jobs are here. Like, you know, if I want to believe, I'm praying for a job and I want to believe for a job, I still got to do the work to go get the job, whether it's to fill out an application, go on an interview, go into network or whatever like that. So it's the same thing. Like, they started seeking him to manifest that which they could have done on their own because they was like, yo, like, this, 
it's easier if he just gives it to us. This is in abundance. But Jesus is like, well, wait, I don't want to skip ahead. So I put, um, like I said, his dealings are in the things that you cannot do on your own. So I, like, I spoke earlier and I said that Jesus had put his super on the boy's natural, right? So then I wanted to define what supernatural is because I feel like we just say that term all the time. Um, and it is defined as unable to be explained by science or the laws of nature. Unable to be explained by science or the laws of nature. So those things that cannot be defined or denied are what God specializes in. So an example, like I said, the two fish and five loaves of bread that feed 5,000 people, like that's impossible. Who, anybody else did that yet? Exactly, that's, that is impossible. That's what God specializes in. And then another example that I gave is having incurable cancer. Right? We've, we've all heard those stories. Um, the doctors give you only a few months to live, and it's like years later. They cannot detect where the cancer is. Like, you're still alive. Like, th that was a, the, a miraculous. That's something that is undeniable and undescribable, and this was a God thing. These are the things are, that are impossible. These are the supernatural things. These are the miraculous things that we should be believing God and seeking him for, and not for those things that are within our control. So I put seek. Oh, okay. I said seek God for the things that can't be defined or denied, which is something that the doctors like. If you've ever heard one of those stories, like firsthandly, or even on TV and in the news, like they'll say, like I can't explain it, or it was a miracle, or it was a blessing because it's not defined by science. They cannot figure it out. They cannot explain it. It's undeniable. It's the truth. It's a miracle. It is by God. So um, I wrote down that the things that you cannot do on your own, you don't have, like things as far as like you don't have the bandwidth, the experience, the connections, the resources, the finances, like these are the things that you need to seek God for because again, they're out of your control. I always try to take the, the biblical principles and apply it to our lives, right? Like, we're not necessarily going to be asking God to feed 5,000 people. However, maybe we are asking to, for, for a loan. Like, maybe we need money to put down on a deposit for our home or something like that. Well, that's something that you can do on your own. You can research it. Like, you can, it's, it's already done. Like Uncle Bati said, like, the work is already completed. You just have to go out there and Google or research or, like, do what you need to do to, for it to manifest in your life. So, I wrote down, seek God for the things that scare you, for the things that you know you absolutely cannot do on your own. God fills capacity, God supplies needs. So, even if that impossible thing is something, isn't something that's like untouchable, you should, you should still seek him. Because I named a lot of things that you just feel like, well, I feel like were like more intangible. Um, I said maybe it's unimaginable, and I gave the example of Moses' impossible was inc including him leading the Israelites out of slavery, out of slavery, right? To him, that seemed impossible. Like, I've never been a leader. I got a stutter. Like, this is impossible. Why are you choosing me? Can't you choose somebody else? That was impossible to him. Um, another impossible moment came from Joshua, actually, and I wrote down that it couldn't, it can appear that Joshua's impossible was even more difficult or challenging than Moses's because he had big shoes to fill, right? He literally had to pick up where Moses left off. And so one, that can be intimidating. Like, okay. And so I was listening to a sermon earlier this week and uh, he was teaching out of 
be strong, Joshua, well, I'm funny, yeah, Joshua, where he said, be strong and very courageous, and God said that to him like three times, like he kept repeating that, because obviously Joshua was dealing with having to be encouraged in that moment, because he was dealing with facing the impossible, like, okay, Moses, this great man of God, couldn't even complete the task, like, how do I know that I am able to, um, and I wrote down that he had many battles to fight before they could enter in, he was afraid, he was discouraged, and and yet that which seemed impossible, I mean, that which seemed impossible, God was with him to fulfill. And I think that that's what we need to be reminded of, that God, if we do it with God, is not impossible. Which goes back to Luke 20, uh, 18, 27. So I said, um, he can and will place his super onto your natural. So let's go back to the shift. So when we, in John 6, 24 through 27, um, I'm going to read it. It says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the bo boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So I wrote down that after the people's priorities shifted, Jesus had to realign them with purpose. He had to shift their mindsets, he had to shift their perspective, he had to shift their priorities and align them with the greater. And that was obviously... Um, revealed in verse 27 that's the place where Jesus realigns them with purpose so I wrote down that you don't seek and work and do because you need I think a lot of times we do things out of need not out of purpose not out of because we're supposed to but because we feel obligated to do it so I'm doing this thing because I need to pay my bills I need a house I need a car I need clothes I need water however that when you focus more on the need or on, more on the people and not the purpose you can be distracted because you're not walking confidently in what God has called you to do because you're, you're distracted because you're too busy focusing on you that you can't do what God has told you to do or what he's speaking to you. So I said, no longer seek God for personal gain, but for kingdom gain. And what he says is, um, do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Meaning, uh, do it for that which endures for everlasting life. In other words, like do it for Jesus. Like everything that we do, we should be doing it heartily unto the Lord. It doesn't matter how big or how small. We should be operating with the mentality of like God is, I'm on assignment. Like I'm doing this because God is telling me to do this. Even if these people at my job getting on my nerves, <laughs> even if my friends not being good friends right now, even if my significant other isn't trying to understand my placement, like God put me in this position for a reason and I wrote in my book, or my second book, like it's not about the position but the mission. So what is the mission? Why am I here? Why did God place me here? What am I supposed to be doing? Let me not be distracted by the outside situations or circumstances. Let me not be focused on what I need to do or what I have to take care of. Let me focus on what God has called me to do. Because my favorite scripture, Matthew Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Or in his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
if you seek and seeking first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, his right way of doing things, then all these things, all of your wants, your needs, your desires will be added to you. And this isn't in my notes, but I feel led to share this with you guys. Um, I'm trying to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to just start. So I went on vacation. Sorry, y'all know I'm long-winded, so I'm trying to be condense this story. I was in two weeks ago or last week I was went to Chicago and then St. Louis for a trip or vacation. While I was in Chicago, my um, best friend was supposed to take me. She ended up having to work my last day there. So she was supposed to take me to the train station and we were going to spend the last day together. After we found out that she had to work, she was like, well, I'm just going to drop you off in the morning and you can just explore the city or whatever. I'm like, okay. So like, I googled um, lockers that they had at Navy Pier. I'm like, I'm going to put my bags up. I'm going to just enjoy. Like, I'm not about to be in this house the last day. Well, we wake up the, that morning and I go in my best friend's room and I'm like, are you still taking me to the city? And long story short, she wasn't able to take me to the city anymore. So I'm like, okay, well, how much would an Uber be or a Lyft be? And she was like, oh, like $15. I'm like, all right, I'll just do that. Get dressed, doing everything, had a Bible study with somebody, like, you know, praise God. Oh, even pray with people. It was just a great morning. Get to doing my Uber. I checked the Uber and I checked the Lyft, and it really was like thirteen to fifteen dollars when I had checked it. Well, I guess when I was trying to leave, it was like prime time because it went super high, and I was trying to go to Navy Pier because I haven't been in over ten years. So I went, and it was like almost forty dollars. I said, "Well, she's not paying that." So <laughs> I thought that I wasn't gonna be staying in this house, but I don't know what's going on. So I remember I had, you know, been praying and seeking God the entire day. I was really just in his presence. So I was like, all right, God, like, just guide me. I'm flexible, whatever. Like, you know what I desire to do, but whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. So something was like, uh, well, go back to Millennium Park. Millennium Park, um, they had this gospel festival. They had all these, like, Israel Holden and the Walls group, like, you know, all these big-name um, gospel artists. So I was like, well, I'm just go back here and enjoy this free gospel concert because I'm not, I'm not going to Navy Pier. Or maybe when I get there, uh, uh, Uber to Navy Pier will only be like $5 since it's in the same area. So I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to do it. So I did it, got in the car, had a God time. Yeah, not a good time, but a God time. Like, it was a Christian in the car. We connected and networked. He ended up following me on social media. He applied to be a speaker at my St. Louis conference. Yes, and he's other ethnicities, and that's, like, very big to me because I'm, like, big on diversity. So that made me super excited. I'm like, look at God. And he was on his way to actually New York because he was going to Israel and he was going on a missions trip. Like, really just a God time, right? He gets out the Uber or Lyft. I mean, I'm in the Lyft, but I keep saying Uber. So he gets out the lift and then me and my my um Lyft driver cannot even speak English for real. He really doesn't understand. But he's trying to engage in conversation. He said, good guy? I'm like, yeah, good guy. And he said, pastor? Like, he doesn't know many. He's like, pastor? I said, no, minister. And then he said, I pick him up from church. And so I was like, I said, I said something. He said, huh? I said, Jesus. He said, Jesus, Jesus. He's a good guy. Because, look, I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to pray the prayer of salvation with him in this other language. So I'm like, Jesus? And he says, Jesus, Jesus. He's a good guy. So I'm like, okay, he know Jesus. Cool. Get to, <laughs> that was just extra part. So I get to the park. I get, as soon as I get out of and I received some amazing calls while I was in this lift, but I get out of the car. As soon as I shut the door, one of the brand ambassadors, you know, the people who like hand things out to you, a brand ambassador walks up to me and hands me this promo card. And on the promo card, it has two free, they have this thing called VIA, which I see is in New York now, 
two free uh, promotional codes for a via car. So the thing where I desire, like, oh, I want to be able to go to Navy Pier. I'm going to take me an Uber or a Lyft to Navy Pier. And then from Navy Pier, I'm going to take my Uber or Lyft to um, my train, because I was going to St. Louis next. Because I was flexible enough and willing to let God guide me, as soon as I get out of this car, I get pre presented, like didn't even walk anywhere. I get presented with this coupon code that it didn't offer me discount or like a $10 or 10%. It was like two free rides. So then I got to go to Navy Pier. Then I for free and then to my train for free and the reason why I'm sharing this story is because when you are submitted and committed to God and even when you decide that you're going to choose his will over your wants he will then take you to where you need to be and then give you what you want so um, in John 6 27 through 29 it says do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So tonight God is calling me to shift your perspective. He said, those impossible things that you envisioned during our exercise or wrote down are not your concern. Dismiss those heavy weights God didn't call you to pick up. He said, shift your focus on higher things. Your work isn't to manifest those impossible things. Your work is to believe in the one who can. Seek after him, not things. Seek after the blesser, not the blessing. So it says that you have to believe in him, right? That's what we just read. So to believe, I defined, is to accept as true, to have faith and confidence in. So our work is to accept that, God, that what God has spoken is true. Amen? Okay. It says, now, of course, this is work because accepting what God says is true requires us to see past our reality. It requires us to believe in something that is unseen, it requires us to have great expectation for something that doesn't make sense and seems impossible. And lastly, it requires us to place our hope in the intangible, that which we don't understand and can't currently touch. So often in today's society, we use the words belief and faith interchangeably, right? Okay. But they are not the same. Raise your hand if y'all knew that. Because we go here and we a word-based church. Okay. So I, I said write down this equation. Belief plus action equals faith. Y'all taking notes? Okay. <laughs> belief plus action equals faith. So I wrote down that belief becomes faith through your actions. You can say you believe in God and that you're trusting him and that you know he can do it, but are your actions aligning with your words? God can do anything, right? We learned this in our foundational scripture in Luke, right? He can, but I, I wrote down that his can turns to will through your obedience. And something that I found myself, I guess, experiencing this last week, I remember saying, like, God, I know you can do it. The question is, will you? And through this Bible study, obviously, if I'm obedient, he will do it. <laughs> So, I said, there are no miracles or miraculous works performed in this earthly realm without obedience. Do y'all agree with that? Amen. So, one of those examples that I always like to give is like when Moses parted the Red Sea. If he, 
or when God used Moses to part the Red Sea, it was through Moses' obedience. God gave him specific directions and he told him what to do, when to do it, where to do it. He did it and then that's why the miracle happened. Like God performs miracles through obedience. So a lot of sometimes people may be like, God bless me with a miracle or give me the breakthrough or I need increase or overflow or whatever. Like, well we have to be reminded that we have a part to play in whatever our prayers are or whatever we're believing God for. Um, I wrote down that Another example was when Jesus healed the ten men of leprosy. And I actually wrote down the scripture so that you guys can go back. So the Moses um, parting the Red Sea was Exodus chapter 14. And uh, I guess verse 1 through 31. And then Jesus healed the ten men who had leprosy was Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. And this is the um, story when only one came back to say thank you. I love that song. Okay. And then the last one, uh, or that's, this is, that's the only um, examples that I have. And I put that um, your obedience because I gave a lot of examples that require some actions. But the last thing that I want to encourage you and say to you that your obedience may very well be just to stand in faith. So it doesn't always require you to do something. Right? Obedience doesn't always mean a physical action. It could mean something that spiritually that God is calling you to do. Even that obedience could equate to fasting and praying. Like you have to listen and obey. Meaning like you have to go to God. You have to seek him. Then you have to be quiet. You have to be still. And then you have to listen to what he is telling you. And then do it. So I wrote down that um, faith is an action word. You can't say you have faith for something if you aren't acting on it. So I, de I define faith is, actually I didn't define faith. My friend um, led me and led a Bible study the other day and this is her definition of faith. She, she said that she can remain nameless but I just wanted to credit her in Jesus' name. But um, this definition that she gave is, faith is your foundational belief and trust in Christ that all aspects of your life, values, and principles are built and acted upon. And I'm going to read it again because it was good. It says, faith is your foundational belief and trust in Christ that all aspects of your life, values, and principles are built and acted upon. So faith requires action, right? I said whether you're, oh, I actually gave this example earlier. I said whether you're believing for a new job, God will not manifest it if you are not filling out applications, sending out resumes, going on interviews, attending networking events, speaking and claiming the manifestation of that position, telling people that you're looking for a job or fasting and praying for it. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you have to do all those things. Like, again, that's where it comes to seeking God and asking him specifically what you're supposed to do. However, there is a work that is required on your end. So whether it, like, if nobody knows that you're looking for a job and you're just like, God, bless me with a job, bless me with a job, but you're not going to networking events, you're not talking to nobody, you don't have a resume, what are he going to do? They're just going to call you? Who's going to call you? Now, that can't, that, the, a miracle can happen. However, the miracle happens through obedience. So even if you aren't filling out applications or resumes and going to networking events, but God told you to fast and you obey and fast, then maybe that miraculous call will come through. But at the end of the day, there is some work. There is some obedience on your end that is required. Um, I, 
Okay, so what I said that, I didn't say that he can't. Can and will are two different things. God will tell you exactly what you are supposed to do, then you must do it. So I wrote down that there, I said all this stuff, that there has to be some work done on your end. And we learned um, in John 6, 29, that our work is to believe. So our second definition of believe was to have faith in. So I said that you cannot say that you have faith in something and then do nothing. Faith is action. The action that we are called to complete is obedience. The obedience is to believe in Christ, what the word says, and that he can do it. I said, then you have to act, do, live as if you already have it, and he will do it. So whatever that impossible thing is, right, whatever that thing is that you feel like is just totally, like, you need to start living it like it's yours. Whatever it is, live like it's yours. If you believe in for a car and you sit riding a train right now, pick up, be like, where are my keys? <laughs> and find your metro car. <laughs> and when you swipe it, say, vroom. <laughs> You got you gotta act like it, right? If you wanna if you want a house and you walking up in your apartment and you walking up all them steps, be like, whoo, this mansion is big. Like literally, you gotta act like it's yours. I live on a fourth floor walk up. I know it's just preparing me for greater. Alright. I said, now let's go back to the place where Jesus shifted and realigned them with purpose, which is found in John 6, 27 through 35. I'm actually not gonna reread that entire thing. Um Yes, I am, because I'm going to be obedient. Okay. It says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So can we go to John chapter 7, verse number 37. And when we have it, say amen. Amen. All right. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So between John 6:37, I mean between between John 6:35 and John 7:37 through 38, we learn that Jesus is everything we need, right? Amen. It says um, that he said, "If you come to me and drink," he said, "I'm the bread of life." Or yeah. So literally, if he's the bread of life and we can drink from him, like that's what we need. We need food and water to survive. Is that true? Um, it says we just have to only believe. So this is something that God gave me like in May. He said that your body was made to live on water. Your soul was made to live on God. When you go without water, your body gets thirsty. When your soul goes without God, it gets thirsty. 
You were made to live on God. What Jesus offers is satisfying. Jesus is the living water. To come to me and drink is to believe. To come to me and drink is to believe. Believe in Jesus, and then rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. And in the King James Version, it says belly. It'll, it'll flow out your belly. Um, I actually like that because when I think about drinking water, I feel like it goes to my belly and not my heart. But um, I wrote down that Jesus equals living water. When you believe in Jesus and are filled with his Holy Spirit, living water will flow. Because when you go to Jesus, you don't just get a single drink. You get a spring, you get a fountain, you get a well that doesn't run dry. Jesus is the abundance, right? I wrote that Jesus is the river maker. When the river maker lives within you, you have no choice but to overflow. Holy Spirit is the overflow. So earlier I shared that God is calling me to shift your perspective. Those impossible things that you envisioned during your exercise and you wrote down are not of your concern. That you are supposed to dismiss those heavy weights God didn't call you, call you to pick up. Um, I said shift your focus on higher things. Your work isn't to manifest those impossible things. Your work is to believe. So May 15th at 6 a.m. in the morning, God spoke to me and he said you will never thirst again because you have access to an, an abundant supply. There's no need to look for something you already possess. Look within. You have everything you need to succeed. So those impossible things, right? It says with God. But when we're filled with the Spirit, that means that we're always with God. So that means that they're no longer impossible because they're possible because we're with God. Amen? I put, that's what living waters means to you. You have it, you're filled, Holy Spirit lives within you. And when you have, are filled, and operate in the guidance of Holy Spirit, success is inevitable in every area of your life because he is everything you need. So Holy Spirit is everything that you need. Being filled with Holy Spirit is everything that you need to live in the overflow, to live in the abundance, to live in freedom. I said, the, this impossible thing that seems too big for you to do on your own, tonight I want, you, you want to remind you that God is bigger. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with God, right? So if God is bigger and it's not too big for God, then you are bigger and it's not too big for you. So when it comes to being a shifted perspective, I think that we have to stop looking up to our problems and remember that we are joint heirs with Christ and we look down to them because we are bigger than them. We are bigger than that impossible. We are bigger than those things that intimidate us, whether it is an unpaid bill, whether it, it whatever. Literally, whatever. I'm not even going to name whatever y'all impossibles are. You know what it is. You're bigger than that. I wrote that Jesus sent Holy Spirit to make us make the impossible possible. John 16, 17. Can y'all just write it down? Because I want to finish. John 16, 17 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So this is Jesus talking. Like, it's to our advantage. Because it's so funny, like, who would think, like, what? Jesus is to our advantage. Like, you're Jesus. Like, you're our king. Like, you're, our, you're the person who's guiding us. Like, you're our leader. You're, like, you're the person that's performing all these miracles. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's great. But I'm going to send a helper. You know, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the power source. So instead of me walking with you, I'll be inside of you. 
Which brings us back to our foundational scripture and the title of this message. Our foundational scripture was Luke 18, 27, where it says, But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Holy Spirit is important because with his filling, you are no longer doing life on your own. You are doing it with God. Remember, with means doing it together, doing it accompanied by God. This impossible battle is not yours, it's the Lord. Stay in faith, make sure that your works are in alignment with God's word. Now, that's not only the word in the Bible, right? That's the word that, and the things that he specifically speaks to you. Um, I wrote that it's not that you're doing something, because I think that sometimes we feel like, you, I'm doing this work, I'm doing, but it, what are you doing? Not that you're doing the work. You can be doing the great work, but what are you doing? Is the what in alignment with what God told you to do? Because you can, if you're looking for a job, you're like, I'm filling out applications. I'm going to these interviews. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And God told you to be still and trust him. And yet you're doing what you think is the work that you're called to do. But it's not. It's the complete opposite. So you have to make sure that you're in alignment with what God is telling you to do. Um, I wrote that apply the right works. Right? And then only believe. Seek the blesser, not the blessing. So, I want you guys to write down these scriptures. I wasn't um, even going to read these, but these are just for further revelation and understanding of Holy Spirit. Um, Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. This is when the Holy Spirit comes. This is Pentecost. And um, something I want to share with you guys. Uh, I know that, I mean, I don't know if y'all ever wonder, but in young adults' uh, ministry, on Pentecost Sunday, I actually taught about the importance of Pentecost. And I had never, I mean, I know what Pentecost is, but I had, I feel like throughout the course of my spiritual walk or my spiritual journey, I never received like a great revelation or understanding, like for it to be completely explained to me or taught um, to me. And so I felt led to teach on the importance of Pentecost because my friend was like, girl, you need to come to my church on Pentecost Sunday. I'm like, girl, I teach. What, what is going on? Like, what is the significance of Pentecost Sunday? And she was telling me like all the stuff they're doing. I'm like, she's like, y'all don't do this. I'm like, no, like, well, I'm sure they're going to mention it. I'm sure we're going to acknowledge that it's Pentecost Sunday. But so it made me think like, well, if they're doing all this, like I need to have an understanding of exactly what this Pentecost Sunday is all about. And then through my research, I researched it on Saturday. Pentecost was on Sunday. <laughs> like, so I had to teach it, the importance of Pentecost. And I'm like, man, Pentecost is just as important. I feel like it's like three major dates when it comes to being a Christian. It's like Christmas, which is Jesus' birthday. It's Easter, which is Resurrection Sunday. And then it's Pentecost. Because Pentecost is not only when the Holy Spirit came, but it was the birth of the church. And I didn't know these things. I didn't have an understanding. So I couldn't wait to tell the younger adults and teach them about it. Just give me two seconds. And I could not wait to, like, share this with them and teach this to them. And I was praying super hard. Like, I always pray. But I'm like... Jesus, please let somebody come. Like, let my young adults come, God. They need to know this truth. They need to have an understanding of the importance of being filled with Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You guys, we went all the way over service. It was so good, and God's presence was so strong in that place that we didn't even get to go back and meet y'all at the hotel. Like, they literally text their parents and was like, go ahead, go home without us. Like, that's how powerful it was, and that's how, like, present God was, to the point where Overflow Church started their service, and we had to move from the uh, conference room to the office space. Like, that's how it really was. They, everybody who was there got filled with the Spirit, but not only that, God's glory and presence fell down on that place to where they were, like, slain in the Spirit for hours. 
I'm sharing this with you to like to first to tell y'all what's going on in youth ministry and that God is just moving miraculously, but also the importance. Like, like these babies hungry, we all in here hungry, like it's great for us to be on one accord and it's great for us to all know like the importance of the Holy Spirit, but outside of that to be reminded, right? And I think that that's what happened. It was like a refreshing wind, like just seeing them like crying. Like I feel like I haven't experienced that since I was in college, like, you know, being slain in the spirit like that. And just seeing them like laid on this ground in the office, like tears coming down their eyes and they just praying in tongues, just like glorifying God, talking about this spiritual encounter. Like this, this is the meat of it, right? This is what we're doing it for. This is why we're willing to go on all these super long fasts and not eat <laughs> because we want to see God's presence. We want to see his glory fall. Um, so not only am I, I know most of everybody in here may be filled with the spirit already, maybe, maybe not, but we need to be reminded so that we can have that hunger, so we can have that fire inside of us to be more intentional, to go out and pour into other people because just because we've been filled for years, it doesn't mean that our neighbor is. Um, so these are the last two scriptures I just want you to write down. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 through 6. And then the last scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. And I want to do something a little different to, tonight as we close. Can we all stand up? So I know that we give four invitations. However, I want us to... Um, Pray the prayer to be, uh, welcome Holy Spirit into our lives together. I think that sometimes we just have to do things as a collective body, as one, as a unit. And it takes the pressure off of feeling obligated or nervous about coming up to the altar or raising your hand. So if everybody can just close their eyes. And if you feel led, um, if, of course, let me explain that you first have to receive Jesus into your life. Keep it going. Um, you have to receive Jesus into your life before you can uh, receive the Holy Spirit. So if you feel led, please just repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die for my sins. Right now, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later for my sins. Jesus, thank you for giving your life on the cross so that I can live my life and live it more abundantly. I thank you. And I believe that three days after your resurrection, you rose. Please forgive me. For any and all sins I have committed. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the helper, Holy Spirit, to be my guide and comforter through life. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my heart right now in Jesus' name. I cast out all doubt, fear, and uncertainty. I believe that I receive you now, Holy Spirit. Fill me until I overflow. I believe that I am filled with your Holy Spirit and that I will speak in tongues when I open my mouth to speak. 
I call faith to rise up now. Our hope is that you receive something that you could apply in to your Jesus life name. and strengthen your faith. Thank At Crenshaw you Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Amen. Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.